Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. We created this community for students and for industry to join together as a community and talk sports and really it just be what's going on, what is the future looking like, and have a little bit of fun. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Axel Manis, and uh, I'll be one of the esteemed speakers tonight or host tonight. Uh, joining me as well is the amazing Chelsea Vern and also Prof Joe. So uh, Prof Walls and Coach Dan are not going to be joining us tonight. So basically we get to do what we want and we get to call the shots without them bossing us around. So that's going to be fun. Joining us tonight as our guest speaker is Russell Kovshaf. How, how did I do on the last name there? Kovshaf, not bad. Not as bad as the telemarketers who call me. Those, those guys are, those guys butcher it all the time since I was a kid, man. So that's pretty good. I can lie. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tee up a little bit of intro here and we'll get obviously uh, into some fun conversation in a few seconds. But um, Russell comes with uh, 15 plus years of experience in the um, sports entertainment, international sporting events uh, industry. He was former director of game entertainment and events with the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's worked as B-Show coordinator for Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Uh, spent some time at MLSC in game presentation and game operations, and uh, we'll get into this later, so let's not get into the chat right away, but he did fill in as the Raptors mascot, um, so more to that um, down the road. Uh, he currently uh, works at Play On Canada as a special advisor, uh, loves to perform, sing, and act, so I'm sure there'll be questions about that, or he'll work it into his answers somehow. Played football at Waterloo as a linebacker and defensive end volunteered for the uh, Argos at the earliest at the early age of 12. So this man's been around the football, been around the basketball. So we'd love to hear, uh, we're going to get a few minutes to hear about his experience. But before we uh, get to Russell, defensive lines were broken this week uh, with the announcement of King, Kim Ng as uh, GM of the Miami Marlins in uh, Major League Baseball. Now, a lot of headlines say she's the first ever female GM in sports, but if you look back at the late 80s, we had Joanne Pollack, who was the first female GM in North American sports with the Ottawa Rough Riders. So that being said, it's been a long time coming and definitely has a bigger stage below her. And just wanted to get uh, Prof. Joe to maybe talk about this for a little bit before we get to Russell. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up because, um, I mean, it was such big news at the end of last week. And then I actually did see her on a morning show this morning on the Today Show. They were interviewing her and talking so much about, you know, the glass ceiling being shattered. Because, you know, they were specifically referring to MLB and they were saying first female uh, GM in MLB history and first Asian American. So, uh, you know, on a lot of fronts, it seems like the glass has been shattered there. That's what we think is great news um, because we're all about believing that People need to see themselves represented places. And if they never see themselves, then they never can aspire to these types of dream jobs, dream positions. What is your take on that, Russell, in terms of how much equity, diversity, inclusion have you seen in your career? And where do you see it going now in, in terms of pro sports? Thank you for the question. And thank you guys for having me. And thank you for the intro. Um, definitely, when you look at sports as a whole, has sports generally been male dominated? Absolutely. But what's amazing, and you can even see it with the Toronto Raptors, uh, and MLSC is a great example, is looking at, you know, the programs they've put in place and the people who are in leadership roles 
with the Toronto Raptors, Teresa Resch, for example, she's the VP of, you know, basketball operations and, and, and that's the team ops side. And there's more women like that, that are really just getting in there and just leaving their mark. It doesn't need to be a male dominated field anymore. It's not, it should never have been anyways, but what we're seeing now is just these strong, smart and very capable and qualified women stepping into roles that may not be traditionally a role women would be in, but they could easily, you know, crush it and just do their best. So for me, I've seen it quite a bit. You know, we have in Saskatchewan, we had a lot of, you know, females on in, in the business ops side. And then, you know, in, in other places, there's been more females in the team ops side. So lots of different facets there, but I think it's just awesome to see, you know, you look at the NBA, you have Doris Burke now calling games. It's just, you know, going from a sideline reporter to that, and then you add it all in, it's, it's, you know, women are just taking over and I love it. And it's just so good to see that the barriers are broken down and it's free game for anybody. Whoever is the best qualified, regardless of sex, should get the job, period. Thanks, Joe. And uh, we talk a lot about this, uh, about DNI on this show, and uh, it's just great to always have something to talk about and, um, and this time in a, in a positive light. So um, very exciting news there. Also exciting, uh, Russell, your opportunity to work on Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Uh, maybe you can walk us a little bit through that experience, uh, being on the big stage and uh, what that involved. Sure. Awesome. So it's all about networking. So in Saskatchewan, it all roots from Saskatchewan. We had the NHL Heritage Classic in town and I was helping the NHL and this group called Van Wagner Sports Entertainment that does big productions across the world, with Super Bowls and you name it. And just networking and helping out and performing at a high level with them. And what that led to was me sending an email because I just happened to be visiting my mom who was in Miami um, during the time the Super Bowl was happening. This is about three months before. I just sent a cold email to the individual I was working with here named Fred. And Fred's a great guy. And I sent Fred an email be like, hey, I'm in Florida. Let me know if you want to grab a coffee. And by the way, if you need help with Super Bowl LIV, I'm, I'm there. I'll volunteer. Just let me know. And then one thing led to another a month went by and I got an email response saying, Hey, Russ, I'm at the airport. I have a Super Bowl opportunity. I need you to call me. And then here I am, you know, a couple months later down at uh, Super Bowl in Miami <laughs> as a work on the B show, which is, it tells the game through stats. So we follow the stats. We tell the game to the in-game, you know, as a part of the in-game presentation. But the coolest part was just being there. You walk on that footprint and you see the largest single day sporting event in the world. And you're there and, the amount of people and the, the helipad for, for the halftime performance. And there's a group that works on halftime all year round. And like, it, it, it's just, it's unbelievable the amount of production and effort and, and things that America in particular and the NFL do for that special day. So I happened to be in that control room, the only Canadian team in the control room. And it was just a really great honor. And I learned a lot. And quite frankly, we we're going to do a lot of cool stuff from what I learned at the Super Bowl in Saskatchewan this year that had been invested in but uh, coronavirus. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, now you, you play a little bit of football yourself, Russell, at the University of Waterloo as a linebacker and defensive end. And at the same time, you were also uh, doing the side hustle, uh, working for the Toronto Raptors. So uh, explain a bit about that dynamic. Uh, you kind of had two gigs going. One seemed uh, a little bit more in the direction you're and the other one, almost something different. So uh, can you walk us through those years? Absolutely. Yeah. Those years were crazy years. I, uh, I had a lot on the go. Obviously we talk about school. I studied recreation sport business, um, at the university of Waterloo and minored in tourism. So doing that, managing football and also, you know, going back and forth part-time with the Raptors. Also on top of that, a couple of things you may have not known too, is there was actually three jobs at once. It was 
football school, Raptors, and then I was working with the athletics department as well at the school. We created this event called the Ultimate Warrior. We're trying to build school spirit. As many of you know, who go to Ryerson or Waterloo, sometimes with that, you know, athletics, it may not be the most heavily attended. So we just put a strategy in there. But anyways, it was crazy. My first year of university, I was a first year student. I was in my second year with the Raptors. I started in grade 12 as a hype guy on the interactive team. And I would literally, I didn't have a car. So I would take a Greyhound, structure my class schedule, take a Greyhound to Toronto at two o'clock, get there at four, 4.30, shift starts at five. I'd have to take the Greyhound down all the way down the subway, subway to uh, obviously to ACC or Scotiabank Arena, and then work the shift, make maybe 60 bucks, then take a Greyhound, take a subway back to the Greyhound and be back in Waterloo. And it's like one o'clock in the morning. So that was a grind, but it was so worth it. And I loved it every day. And honestly, football for me was an exciting thing. I've played since I was eight years old. I was good enough at it to, to play in university. And that was an accomplishment for me personally. And that's what helped me got, get to university. Um, but the next piece was having the opportunity to still be involved with the Raptors. I saw somebody mentioned about networking and being out there. And my thing is, once you have a standard set of like, hey, you know, I'm the hype guy, I'm going to crush my job, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to make sure people see my face, I'll be friendly, and I'm going to try and build my, my reputation and my rapport and also ask questions. So that's kind of what was going on around that time, uh, working with athletics as a host. There was one game I, I sang the anthem, I hosted the game. I wrote the scripts. I was telling the people what to do, uh, who are doing the promotions. It's just, you get a, you get like involved with all of it, all the minutiae of a game day. And you just, I just kind of dove right in. So I know that's a long winded answer, but I hope it was at least entertaining for those who are watching. <laughs> well, we have a yeah. couple of questions on the chat and actually one of them refers directly to what uh, Russell was talking about. And let's bring these people on if they want to come off and use their mics. Um, so Emily Rome has asked a good question about networking. Emily, do you want to come off mic? And ask yeah sure um, so I was just gonna ask a question about you mentioned that the best way to get job opportunities is by reaching out um, and networking what would you say is like the best because we're in COVID times right now what's the best social media platform you would recommend for reaching out to people thank you for the question when I actually funny enough when I took the job in Saskatchewan I and even when I was with the Raptors I used my LinkedIn like crazy and we're talking about like not just like put your profile what you did find pictures of you doing it. People want to see you do the things you're doing. And then just look at the people who, you know, you're interested in having their job one day. That's what I did. And I just added them and I sent them like a cold message. I'm like, Hey, my name is Russell Koshoff. You know, I'm a young guy. Da, 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 da. Um, I would love to set up an info interview with you, get to know what you're doing. I'm not asking them for a job. I'm not bothering them. I'm also showing interest in saying, I really want to be where you are i want to know what you did to get there and what things you learned from because in everything we do in profession we we learn as we go so linkedin get on there find the people who are doing the things you love whether it's sport whether whatever you might want to do and just add them and send them a message and you know what maybe you write a hundred messages and one person gets back to you that person could be a future mentor that person could be somebody you interview with one day and you get a job so that would be the answer to that question so i hope that i hope that does you did, yeah, that's did, great. Thank did, you. I was going to ask too, um, if you had someone like reach out to you, what would be key things you'd look for in like a message sent to you? I would say focus on what you want to do. We, I have a lot of, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine. His name is Christian Parsons. He's the VP of brand experience now with LA Rams, former director of marketing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we were chatting the other day and he was telling me students will just reach out to him and say, hey, do you have time to grab a virtual coffee and chat? 
and then he'll send them an article to read and then he says about 90 percent of people don't read the article which is surprising and then you know it ends up not being you know end up happening because people don't put the time in for me the biggest thing is if you come structured saying hey russell i see you have experience in game entertainment i'm really interested in sport marketing and maybe looking at the the foundations of sport being very specific then i'm knowing you're serious i've had calls where students just like I think your job's so cool. What do I do to be cool like you? And I'm like, I'm not cool. I'm not cool at all. I just, I work hard, you know, just because you work in sports doesn't mean it's going to be easy and fun. Um, sports is a grind and you work long hours, but you love what you do. So it's passion, it's balance. So that would be my thing. Focus on what you really are interested in. And then you can branch out in the conversation as you guys get there. That's great. Anna, Thank you so much. No problem. Thank another, you. We have another student question actually too, that we want to get in here. It's from Ben. And uh, so Ben, will you come uh, on mic as well and uh, ask Russell your question? Hi, Russell. Thanks for joining us tonight here on Sports Talks. Uh, just something a bit away from sort of your sports management and sports entertainment side. You played university football and now you're sort of helping people get into university sports with Can Commit, uh, that sort of nonprofit uh, Instagram page and sort of system that you've set up. So how did that idea sort of come to be and have you ever seen anything like it? Thank you for that. Actually, that's funny. So uh, my best friend, Brandon Eckett, he's a police officer, most amazing person I've met in my life. Um, we, we were roommates. We played football at Waterloo. We were thinking like how hard it is for students in Canada in particular to get recruited. And, you know, we know football is a niche and can commit what the idea was born from. How can we be a truly free, and I say free because I mean it, free resource for student athletes who are in high school trying to achieve opportunity to play post-secondary post-secondary sport you know next level sport and a lot of people right now are manipulating students and selling them and gate taking money from them and really kind of just doing whatever what we're trying to do is something very organic we use instagram for can commit it's all about uh being a resource for canadian youth athletes who want to play at the the cis or sorry youth sport or um uh, college level in canada and then we just promote them organically on instagram we tag all the different athletics groups. We have men's and girls and boys and whatever, um, different classes. And we just highlight them and we, we tag, you know, everybody's got an Instagram page now, you know, Bob, Dick and Sally have Instagram pages. So we know that Western lacrosse is going to have an Instagram page and, you know, we'll tag the guy who's in lacrosse and he's interested in Western and Western sees interested. And it's a, it's a natural platform for both the student and the coaches and the athletic departments to work together and we can be a work together for both of them. So we're helping recruit for the coaches. So it's saving them budget, especially during pandemics. And we're helping these student athletes who maybe can't play their sport right now, but they can be highlighted through our program. Our program is not for profit. We don't make money. We're all about just doing it on the free, free time of our goodwill with, we have student, we have student athletes working with us right now. And it's just, uh, we're just doing this out of the soul of our heart. So that's kind of why we're doing it. We don't want to see students and young people get taken advantage of by people who are for profit. And there's some people who are good out there but there's some that are a little bit of, a little slimy. That's the long-winded answer. Ben, you had a follow-up? Uh, yeah, I was also just sort of wondering, I looked through the Can Commit Instagram and I also noticed that probably around 85 to 90% of the athletes are male athletes. Have you been doing anything to sort of equalize that out or reach out to uh, female athletes to get them recruited as well? Yes, we have been. And that is, thank you for bringing that up because we know we're very like, we're just started. We've only been like three months. So we're only at about 2000 followers. So we, we are looking at our next phase. We have this superstar on our team, Sydney. She's with the University of uh, University of Waterloo Sports Business Association. And we brought her on and she is going to be our leader for, for women's youth, women's sports. A lot of women in sports, especially in high school, 
will just it'll just end in high school and they're not as noticed especially in canada and so what we're trying to do is help definitely find solutions to make it a little bit more turnkey so we can get those young women playing next level sports at universities and colleges in the country and be seen more than ever and like i said for free so yeah thanks ben thanks so much russell so, so Russell, I, I, I for one love love your energy and your smile and your positivity. Uh, uh, shouldn't you. be shouldn't be surprised at all to find out that you um, you were involved in uh, one of the best fan experiences there is, and that's the Toronto Raptors with the NBA as coordinator of game presentation while at MLSC. Can you maybe explain a little bit about your work there and why it's such an important part of the fan experience, and maybe talk a little bit about what that might look like going forward. Absolutely. Um, first off, yes, the Raptors was an amazing experience. I worked for the team for 11 years, a bunch as a hype guy, one year as a mascot stripes when the Raptor towards Achilles, which was quite the experience. And let's just say, you know, when you're tweeted about because you're the scab, you're the Raptors cousin and you're a scab and then people like you because the team starts winning. It's quite an interesting thing place to be. I did that actually my last year at university too, which imagine talking to professors and saying, Hey, I can't write this exam because there's a Raptors game. Can I find another day to do it or do it earlier? That was quite fun. Anyway, sidebar, um, working full time with the team was incredible. Uh, we saw crazy growth. Obviously, the We the North campaign launched in the 14 playoffs, and that kind of blew up and became this whole mantra, you know, doing Jurassic Parks and blowing those up and seeing the young demographic kind of, you know, flock to the Toronto Raptor brand. Now, when you look at the experiences that the Raptors created, it was total team experience, starting with uh, my boss, Anton Wright, who, or my former boss, Anton Wright, one of my first mentors, most creative guy I've ever met, worked his butt off. And the team there is incredible. You have so many different facets and different things going on. You have your entertainment teams, you have your hype team, you have your halftime shows, you have how you script the game and what we're doing in specific moments. Everything we did had strategy. And I had a great opportunity to work mainly with, you know, entertainment side. With that being, you know, with the, I got to work with the Raptor and helping him with some of his videos. I got to work with our team and, and our players when we're having a, you know, green. One of my last green screen days was the Kawhi Leonard laugh day, where he's like, ha ha ha. You know, we we had him right after that, and we got him to do dad jokes because we knew, hey, he's not he's not a big personality. So telling dad jokes naturally, the worse you are, the funnier you are, the funnier you are. So he did that and it was great and it worked out well and. Um, so we work with that, then we produce those videos and then the live production of the show, you know, I kind of was the floor director. So I was responsible for timing where things were making sure smooth execution, and then also working on like, what's our music selection for these different things, working closely with the director and the manager of the department. So that was my job. Kind of like, think about it as content producer slash live entertainment coordinator, manager ish kind of, you know, cause you're still managing people and then also execution, heavy execution. So really fun and that kind of gave me the laurels to make me succeed at that level with Saskatchewan and the Rough Riders. Uh, you mentioned working with the Raptor. We had a, a former backup goalie in, um, in David Ayers on the show uh, <laughs> a couple of months ago and he got a lot of attention for his work as a backup. Uh, we'll call him athlete. Um, so <laughs> how come he's gotten more attention than you have and, and maybe tell us about how your, your big day came along. Well, <laughs> Um, well, you know, um, I was working with the Toronto Rock lacrosse team. So when I started when I was 12, I was with the Argos and then I did that. And I volunteered forever with the Argos and then the Argos and Rock kind of combined it. At, like they had like business operation combinations at the time. And they brought us over to do the game presentation. And 
I was doing that there. One game was like me and my boss and we were running through it. And then one year came along and I was in university and I'm like, you know, the Raptors were paying me enough so I could at least cover my costs. But the rock, I was like, you know, I just, is there anything they can do for me? And I just ended up there like, you know, it was like, yeah, we, we made a mascot and you want to perform. You're a big personality guy. I'm like, sure. Never thought about that, but okay. And so long story short, I ended up doing it for the rock. And I, you know, I start looking, working so closely with the Raptor, watching him for all those years as a hype guy. I'm like, I'm learning from him and I'm trying to develop my own character from the theater stuff I've done in the past and the acting that I developed that character well enough that, you know, in 2013, I'm in the football locker room. It's my last year at university and we had two games left and I get a call from the Raptor saying, Hey, the performer, he just tore his Achilles and he's going to be done for the year. We know you have experience. We know, you know, the building and we know, you know, us, would you be comfortable being a performer for us? We'll deal with it, the other things later. And I'm like, Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> and then uh, one thing led to another and I ended up being stripes and it was a whole, it was a whole thing, man. Like when you have to fill in the shoes of somebody who's been here for 20 years, be a reflection of him, but not him. It's challenging. And people would tweet about like at the beginning it was negative because I was stripes. I had black, I looked like a Raptor, but I had black all over me. So people called me scabs. I think it was like Kelly, whatever is the Cathal and in the, the Toronto star. Like there was all these, articles and then like tweets and you'd read it and kind of laugh but yeah uh, each game was like you know if I ever did something people would be like who's this new guy or whatever and then we made this Rudy Gay trade and we started winning and then all of a sudden people loved stripes and then the Raptor came back and we ended up working together I'd say my fondest memory was um I went to sick kids hospital and you don't really realize what mascots can do for people and there's a picture on my Instagram um if you guys are doing some post and it's me with a, I'm in the suit and I was picking my nose because this kid was non, he was nonverbal and, and his parents were there and I'm picking my nose and he starts picking my nose and his parents start to cry. And I'm like, what is happening? And it's the fact that he's communicating with me. And so it was just that it was a, one of those things I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Like I get emotional thinking about it, but just the opportunity to be in that role and try to do it justice that the way I did it. And now that character lives on with the G league team with their 905. It, it makes me proud to be, to, to have done that job. And yeah, it was very interesting times. <laughs> That's amazing. Russell. Uh, so, sometimes uh, uh, the unlikely events and memories are the ones that stand out the longest, right? Um, Crazy, man. <laughs> I saw a question from somebody about musical theater. I just, I don't know if, I, if that was relative to what we were talking about, but I just saw something they wanted to ask me that that's, that's a, yeah, sure. We we have, we have a question from uh, Emily Emily Cooper. I don't know if Emily wants to come off uh, mute to ask it herself. Uh, yeah, hi Russell. Thank you for being here today. Um, hi, uh, yeah, I also am involved in musical theater. If you can see, like all my playbills. Um, so I'm just, saws, love it. <laughs> so I'm just interested. I know you just touched on it, but like you know, we learn about transferable skills a lot. So I'm just kind of interested in what transferable skills you can apply to theater and your work in sport media. That is a great question, and honestly, it's a lot of it has to do with passion and energy, and also like. When you come to a sporting event, people just think, hey, you know, you're going there to watch the X's and O's of sports. Well, no, there's two types of fans. You have the fan who's kind of like my mom, who's probably watching this right now, and she's probably laughing in the other room, who is a nice Jewish lady who has no idea about basketball whatsoever. She doesn't know if there's a charge. She doesn't know what's happening. 
she just loves the experience. There's people around her cheering. There's dancers dancing to music she's aware of. And the mascot's doing something funny with people and she's laughing at it, right? Then you have the other fan who's like your bro buddy or your buddy who loves the game and likes the X's and O's. So we have to balance the two together and say, how do we put together a great show? With basketball in particular, you have a court and that court is a stage. So when you're coming up with half times, when you're working with your entertainment teams, for example, and I think you'll really like this, this will be great. In Saskatchewan, when I took over, we changed up all of our entertainment teams. So the cheer team was all about cheering. I'm like, we're gonna be dancing and it's gonna be theatrical, it's gonna be fun. And it's gonna be more modern. And then we brought in a hip hop crew, which I went to God knows how many dance recitals. And, and I was just counting in my head as they were dancing, which is just from my Raptors and, and doing a little bit of musical theater, having an idea about that, the learning, the skills of just knowing enough. And then we put together an 80s halftime show, which was all like we had dirty dancing. We had we had flash dance and we had like every musical like you could think of in the 80s. We put together into this collaboration performance and it was one of the best halftimes because it was free and it was fantastic. Uh, it was just so well done. So I think when you look at transferability between sport and theater and whatnot, you have hosts, they're actors, they're performers. You have people on the court, they're performers. Those may not be athletic who are playing the game. There's going to be other, body, other people entertaining. For example, the Raptor mascot, originally a gymnast, but also was in theater. So very, very interesting uh, dynamic. There. So I hope that answered the question for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. No worries. So, okay, Joe. Uh, yeah, Russell, I want to pick up on that theme is, um, you know, you have to find a lot of inspiration and innovation, but, um, you know, the sports entertainment industry has seen major setbacks from no fans to shortened seasons, you know, yeah. but how has that, the pandemic affected you and your job? Well, uh, it's, it has had a major effect. Um, we, I was with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the game, uh, director of game entertainment events. Now, Saskatchewan Rough Riders is a not-for-profit. A CFL team and the CFL is, you know, not a league that makes billions of dollars from TV deals like an NBA or NFL, for example. So, yeah, I did uh, get laid off from the um, Rough Riders because of COVID, not based on performance, because we did have a lot more budget this year to do some cool things so that it hurts a lot. But at the same time, it's like life moves on. You move forward and you have to be more dynamic with what you're doing. And what we were doing before I did get laid off was how are we gonna make up the sponsorship dollars that are involved with sports entertainment? So obviously we know when you work for an not-for-profit, you need to bring in sponsorship dollars. We had to take game day assets, which game day assets are a huge part of what we do. Um, and a huge part of what any team, Raptors, everybody, NFL as well, and make new assets up. So work, myself working with my friends in the NFL, my friends in the NBA, we had to kind of take what we would do in game and then make it digital. So digital kind of exploded in this whole new thing. We were doing a Father's Day special, you know, where we would go on Zoom calls and then we would do Zoom things with players and make it into a player feature, which you might see at like a Raptors game or a Rough Rider game where the guys are lip singing to a song or doing dad jokes to, to stay relevant because relevance is a huge part of our job right now. So with no fans, with no games, at least in Canada, it's made things very difficult and complicated. So it's had a major impact on the industry. It's had a major impact on performers, entertainers, and as well as um, producers, you know, as I'm a producer, live event director, producer. So it sucks. But like at the end of the day, you know, I'll use a great example from my friend Daniel Casados in, in, with the Los Angeles Clippers. They were having games inside the bubble. And what they did is they utilized their app 
And we were doing, we were going to be doing that as well, utilizing the app. So fans could do virtual t-shirt tosses. They can get free things. They can play virtual trivia as the game's going on. And they had different features during timeouts, which we were looking at. And, and for those of you who, who are more in the production side of things, a second screen experience was something we were looking at too. You know, how are we broadcasting a stream through the app and then utilizing the brand we're trying to work with and then our brand and then bringing that experience to fans, much like the NBA league pass, you know, when there's a break, they can show an in-stadium experience. So major impacts, but it's made us become more innovative than ever before. And technology is taken off. Mm -hmm. And so what you're going to see in the future, I believe is going to be technology is going to go crazy. And as we get back to a place where fans could be in stands, it's just going to be, I don't know, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be an innovative world we live in, I think for the next little bit. One of the big things that I, I keep saying to myself and to everyone else and to students as, as well is, you know, throughout this pandemic, we have to keep looking for the silver linings because it's tough to at times, it's really hard to, but you got to keep looking for the silver linings. And I certainly over the last few months sort of found mine. What would you say your silver linings have been, you know, personally or professionally throughout these nine months? I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how to just be like, when you're a director of game entertainment and events, you are no longer doing what you typically ever do. You have to flex and change and adapt more than ever before. To answer that question is difficult. I think the silver lining is, you know, right now I moved back home. I was in Saskatchewan. I moved back home. You know, I'm working with Play on Canada, a special advisor, because we're trying to launch this thing again. And we're trying to do it in a safe way. And you're able to learn as much as you can. You're able to work with people who are in the same situation as you and learn from them. And I think that's kind of been the biggest thing for me. Like, it's also a time to chase passion. I like to act. I never really got into it. Now I have an agent. Now I'm doing that on the side. So that's another silver lining thing. But uh, I, you know what? I don't really have a great answer to that right now other than the fact that you just have to like find your niche. And the biggest thing for me is the thing I've realized is I'm really good at being randomly creative and making something out of nothing and also like looking at how you can structure something so it can be safe for COVID. Yeah. I've never, when we, we had an event in Saskatchewan and it was a drive-through. It's the 110th season of the Saskatchewan Refires. My last event was a drive-through event where we had 2000 people, 600 cars, 2000 people come through and get things. I had to think about how are we going to do it safely? We got grabbers. We had spray for each grabber. We had people wearing masks and spread out. I was on the phone with the regional health agency, the ministry of health, like just things you would never, ever imagine as an event producer, you would think of that, that next level, you know, your risk management stuff. But so I think it just, it, I've learned so many more skills and some of it has to do with some government relations. See, so maybe that's a silver lining as well. Just learning more skills that and challenging being challenged. Like I've never been challenged before. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think oh, the thing about Joe. being a live event producer is that um, you're always worried about what can go wrong. So it's in some ways, I think for all of us who've been in those kinds of roles, it's COVID is like we've, we've been preparing for it our whole careers in some ways, because it's the ultimate what can go wrong. And you're right, saying all these things about now making it safe, making an event safe. We have a question in the chat okay. from Casey, kind of going back to Russell's um, discussion around the sort of second screen experience and um, Casey could talk about it, but it's about addressing the differences in the markets between Toronto and, and, and Regina. Sure. That's a good one. Hey, Casey, do you want to ask your question? So I know having worked like with the Montreal Alouettes and like having been in Toronto, I have been 
in environments where the CFL team is not the predominant kind of sports focus, whereas in Saskatchewan, there's not much else going on. So can you speak to, or like, did you notice a lot of difference in the fan engagement um, between the two markets and kind of the way that fans engage with sport in those respective cities? Great question, by the way. Um, the way that <laughs> it's very like, it's night and day, to be honest with you. Saskatchewan as a, are, are a people and they are beautiful people, really friendly people that love Saskatchewan like you would not imagine. And the Rough Riders are literally a part of heritage and their identity. Now, but there really is no other group that embodies what Sask is all about. You have farmers, you have people drive from 90 kilometers away. Over 50% of people drive from 90 kilometers away to come to a Rough Rider game. There's people who follow from all over the world. You can be in Mexico or you can be in Yohopitzville or you can be in Australia or some like spot and you'll see a Rough Rider hat and you're like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm in Thailand on a beach and there's a guy with a Rough Rider hat. And I took a picture. I'm like, what is happening? It, they're all over the world. It's worldwide. So for them, Saskatchewan is like, the Rough Riders are heritage. They live, they breathe, they eat the Rough Riders. If you look at a, a Toronto, Montreal, there is a lot more, I want, I want to say purchasing power per se, but you have more teams and there is less to, you know, <laughs> go with it really. It's, you have the Argos and if you're not an experience, like you're a millennial, I'm a millennial if, if, or a Gen Z, I'm, I would be correct here. Uh, if we go to games and we're not entertained and we don't really care for the sport because a lot of people in Ontario don't really care about football, I can tell you that much. They love the NFL, but the CFL, yeah, young people. I, people, my friends are like, I've never asked about the CFL, but you work for the Rough Riders, so tell me about it. Um, and so, like, it's all about being relevant and young and, and finding ways to engage these core, core groups of people and growing. In Saskatchewan, our focus was we have a lot of older fans. How do we keep the younger fans going? And a lot of that was about fan segmentation. I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but the quick answer is the engagement there was crazy. And to be honest, I went in there and there was just a lot of fundamental things in terms of entertainment wise that needed to be elevated. And we were able to do that, which is a huge success. I, and I think, and something I could wear on my shoulders and be proud about. And there's a lot more we could have done, which is unfortunate, but that's the situation we live in. In Toronto, it's constant change. We want to be doing the, the newest, craziest things. We want to be on the, on the forefront. If there's like a meme cam, we want to be the meme cam people. We want to set and innovate and be like, we want to be the ones in the NBA when in Saskatchewan, it's like, we're traditional, but how can we create change without upsetting folks? Now, if you want to hear a good story, don't change a mascot that's been the same for 40 years in your first year. If you want to learn anything about that, just Google Gainer the Gopher. Now, it was cuter than the original, but we made his eyes green. So I, I just highly recommend anybody who wants to dig into that, you can dig in. I could talk to you about it if, if anybody has any questions, but that's kind of my answer to it. I know it's long-winded. It's hard to answer these questions this like precisely, but yes, fans in Saskatchewan are more engaged with the Rough Riders than fans in Toronto or Montreal that would be engaged with the CFL teams there, which I'm hoping after this pandemic, we can kind of, the CFL can kind of come out with a fresh style for younger people like us. Russell, um, you mentioned um, your work with Play On uh, yep. Canada a little bit earlier. So I just want to actually um, get you to talk a little bit more about that. You're currently working as a special advisor at Play On Canada. And it was, the, it was first established in 2003 as Canada's original National Street Hockey Festival. 
How would you say it's grown since then and what can we look forward to in the future? Thank you for that question. Um, I'm really excited about Play On. It's obviously a new project for me. Uh, I'm working with uh, the CEO at the moment, Steve Wallace. He, I report to him. He was my VP when I was with the Pan Am Games and also the Chief Marketing Officer of the Invictus Games in Toronto, which I also worked with him on. So excited to be a part of that. Uh, right now, it's trying to relaunch the program. I think the last time they had games was 2018, I believe. It was 2018. And so we're trying to bring it back. And there's a lot of processes that go involved. Like It's a not-for-profit. It's about going across the country and really when you think about it, getting Canada to actually play on again past this pandemic, it's about resilience right now. And we're trying to bring people in this country back together through hockey, 24 cities across the country, over 60,000 participants. And we're trying to find a safe way to do it. Now, what I can say is I'm new with them and it's a position for me where it's not about making money. It's about staying active in what I do as I look for that next challenge. Um, so I'm excited to build on that. I'm excited for you guys to see what's to come with play on, but we have a lot of great people in sport. Some who have been laid off are working on this project and it's, it's something where we feel, and I feel proud to be a part of, to, to get it back off the ground and relaunched in a way that can provide some inspiration to Canada in a time when we're going to need it at some point, <laughs> especially in sport and active, you know, participant and activation stuff like that. So Russell, my, my one last question for you is um, what would be the, the, your next sports job or experience that you would like to add to your list of achievements? What's your dream job that's still out there? You guys are good, man. I like these like, questions are getting me excited. Um, my, my dream job is definitely be like a VP of entertainment for a sports brand, ideally, or a uh, chief marketing officer to some extent. Um, I love activating brands, bringing them to life and really growing an experience for folks. It was so cool to have learned my basics from the Raptors. By basics, I mean everything. They gave me the foundation to be successful. And then the Rough Riders give me the foundation to grow. I continue, I'm excited to grow into the next position that I hopefully will be with another sports team, if not an organization or a major event, and continue to build those. But I would love to be a leading expert in um, in game presentation and major events when it comes to elevating brands, elevating the event itself, and really creating organic fan experiences that people, when they leave, no matter win, loss, maybe bad singer, whatever it might be, they can have a good time. And so that's that's something I, I, I kind of aspire to. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Russell. Uh, we got a few more questions and we're going to get to uh, rapid fire. Um, so uh, be prepared. Uh, so, so uh, Russell, we, we touched on a, a few moments ago your view of the uh, importance of football to the province of Saskatchewan, uh, the emotional connection the Rough Riders have with Regina and beyond the city limits. Um, not too long ago, I think it was maybe three weeks ago, we had David Hollander. He's uh, an NYU clinical associate professor, and he's working, I believe he's working on a book, but the topic of our conversation was that he believes basketball can be used uh, as a tool to help the world. Given what you just said about football in Saskatchewan, what, what do you think is so special about basketball in general that could be used to um, uh, by sport to bring, bring people, bring cultures, bring um, communities together? So one really neat thing about basketball and, and you look at the kind of the culture of basketball is that urban culture a lot of younger people are in it like when you see basketball you think of drake if you see basketball you think of you know for those who maybe watch basketball back in the day they think of sprite and, and coca-cola and all these different like 
cool things and, and the attachments that they made together um, over the years. And I think when you can have people play sport and be on a build a team environment, you really can learn in, in team environments, especially through sport, you know, how to be a better person, how to work with people, how to share the ball, how to have a family environment when you're even in the workplace, you know, in sharing the projects you're doing and then working together. So I think for me, like basketball, where, hey, you know, you have the best shot on the team, but you're double, you're, you're double teamed and you see that buddy over there, you got to trust that person. So building trust. I mean, I can go on a tangent here um, about that and about basketball in particular. Well, like even one thing about, about the Rough Riders and the, NFL and the CFL is, is the Rough Riders, they do so much for the community and all these different teams and different sports do as well with foundations. It's like the more money the Rough Riders got, the more money that we put back into the community. So there's a lot of groups that are even hurting because of that too with the things that we would do. So sport is really powerful. It's just beyond the game and wins. It really is. Like MLSE, the launch pad uh, where you have future basketball players going and growing. If they watch a Vince, Car the Vince Carter, the Carter effect, sorry. Um, now you're going to see maybe the Kawhi effect. I don't know. Um, so it's just, I think sport itself transcends just the game. I think it, it builds fabrics of community. You know, I, I studied rec and sport business at, at Waterloo and I remember if I can butcher this and my professors don't kill me for saying this, but I remember we were reading about Olympic games and the, the follow-up after the games and what participation rates were like with kids and in, in, in particular getting into sport and recreation and being involved. And it was like sky high. So you can only imagine if as a successful basketball team of basketballs like in, in Toronto and in Canada, and I can guarantee you, you know, if you look at the IMI reports, even in looking in Saskatchewan regionally, the Toronto Raptors reputation in Saskatchewan up 25% year over year. That's a huge impact. I saw, it, you, you know, you go on a cul-de-sac, you go down the street and you see more basketball nets up. You see more kids playing together. You see um, more participation happening. You have a more healthy lifestyle of what you're doing. There's, it's, it's a mix between the sport, also being with friends and socializing. Long story short is I think sport provides a societal fabric that we are probably missing a little bit right now, which is being together and sharing experiences. <laughs> we can do that through a podcast and a Zoom call as I sit here in this room, but there's nothing like being in a stadium, being with your friends, playing a game and not having to worry about these things and feeling those feelings, the tension of like, oh my God, and with other people. And so I guess the long-winded answer to that is, I think it is way more than the sport itself. I think it's the societal fabrics that really make us stronger and sport for some reason transcends past that. And the one thing I love about sport is we get to share those stories on game days, the police officer or the paramedic or the community hero that saved the day for somebody, the student group that, you know, raised a bunch of money for women with breast cancer. And, you know, we, we show them on, on camera, the groups of school kids that come together and build this mural for living in a in a more diverse place like I just find that so important to share those stories and right now this year we haven't really had an opportunity to do that because of the virus maybe in digital terms but yeah anyways I digress I'm a passionate person but yeah that, that's my answer to that question <laughs> you end on a perfect transition to the next question so <laughs> uh passion and the growth of the Raptors community was clearly on display when we won the championship last year, or I don't know, two years now, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> we won the championship. And um, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you get to see how, how much has grown. Looking ahead to the upcoming season, 
where do you think the Raptors will play and where do you think they should play uh, to start the season? Oh, man. Uh, well, all I have to say is my friends who still work for the Toronto Raptors in game presentation and, and Anton and team, it's tough. Like, if they're going to, you know, if Canada feels, hey, you know, we don't want to have these American players come in, play a game and leave, well, then they're going to go to the United States, whether it's Kansas City, and I know there's some controversy with that now. They just need a spot where it's a good venue, where they can put together a great show digitally for fans, and where folks can tune in and feel like the Raptors or the Raptors will probably pay, play in Tampa. I'm seeing that now, just like Tampa, Montreal, baseball. Anyways, um, so I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, I don't know about that, but I can say, imagine you're an Anton or somebody's position where you're like, hey, I have to now sell sponsorships, run a game day, and I need to live in Kansas City for five months. Where's your life? You know, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough thing. And that's where I say sports is a grind. It's fun. We love it, but this year in particular, especially if they can't play in Toronto, which I hope that the Canadian government can figure out a way with health officials to do, so they can't play in Toronto, it's going to be a hard year for those guys, and I feel for them. But it's going to be exciting. Why don't we move over to um, to Chelsea, and she's going to do the rapid fire. Uh, Chelsea, you ready to do that? Absolutely. Are you ready, Russell, though? Uh, Chelsea, I'm not scared of you. Oh, come on. <laughs> By the way, thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. I, I mean, it's been definitely an interesting year working in sports entertainment and being a young guy who, you know, I appreciate all the, the promotion. You made me feel cool with your graphics. I even tried to like dress up to match your graphics you guys had. I'm ready. Bring it. Let's go. All right. Perfect. Well, I love your passion and I'm looking for that. So I'll give you the brief rundown as we do with every show. So the rapid fire, we try to keep it to the one word or one sentence answers. So we'll see how successful you are, where you end up on the chart of all of our speakers so far. So I'm going to start off with a little more deeper inspirational questions and then lead off into just uh, some fun, really fun things and hopefully uh, surprise you with how far I dug into your social media. So who has been the person who's inspired you most in your life? My friend, Brandon Eckett. And uh, is, that, is that the one you alluded to earlier with? Uh... Yes, the one, the one with Can't Commit. And the reason why is he's one of the most incredible people. He did not have an easy life. He came up in foster care. He literally defied the odds. And now the reason why he's a police officer is because he genuinely wants to make a difference in the world for the better, not for the cops doing terrible things. He's a genuine dude. So yeah, he inspires me. Fantastic. So what is the single hardest thing that you've had to overcome to get where you are today? Honestly, having a learning disability, for sure. I think when you have a learning disability, people tell you you can't or you won't or you shouldn't. And that actually like drives me when people say, oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. It just says, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to show you I can. So that that right there, definitely not a one sentence answer, but I would say that. Yeah. Fantastic. That was the best answer. <laughs> so who is your sports hero growing up? I don't really know. This is terrible. Uh, I have to really think now. I'm just going to Peyton Manning because of his forehead. I was a big Colts fan. So we call it, my uncle called him the forehead. So we'll go Peyton Manning. All right. Awesome. So what is your go-to karaoke number and why? That funky music, white boy, because I just love to sing it because it's fun and stupid. This is a stupid song. And I, uh, I don't know, whenever I sing it, people like to dance all of a sudden. And it's always, there's always some like weird thing going on on the floor. And I look up 
when I actually start paying attention to what's going on and I'm just like, what is happening? So play that funky music, white boy. Awesome. So your voice essentially brings in this, you know, magical dance number that everyone just wants to participate in. Just that, just that one guy who's just doing all these crazy things. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So if you were an NBA player being drafted as that's coming up, what color suit would you wear and why? I'd wear a steel blue suit. Um, I like blue. It's my favorite color. And I feel like a, a slim fit blue suit. You walk in that room and it's bright and you, you know, you got, you got the look, you got the swag. I got a nice pair of sunglasses on because I'm an NBA player. Just do something ridiculous. I'm inside and wearing sunglasses. That's what I can go with, blue. Perfect. You know you're cool when you're wearing sunglasses indoors. <laughs> um, all right. So do you have what it takes to be a thrillusionist? And can you explain what that is as you've linked it in your Instagram bio? I am not a magician. Uh, uh, Chelsea refers to, uh, we did a, I did a kid's TV show five nine films and it was um with the illusionist these three kids they do magic and i happen to be the host of that one episode um for the raptors on that and it was uh it was good i did good i did a good job at acting i think that was like my first on true on-screen tv experience i've had people message me who have kids being like i just watched you this morning and i wasn't sure what was going on so that's cool so that that would be that yeah thanks so no i don't have what it takes now you have an agent so you're you're an actor essentially yeah <laughs> Yeah, right. to be. Uh, you love to travel as I as we see um, with all your different pictures and the different places you've been. Um, so what has been the best pub that you've been to by far and where is it? Uh, I'm going to go with um, there was a, a, a really cool pub when I was in Israel called Mike's Pub. I think it got like rocketed years before I got there. Worst times in Israel, clearly. And I remember being in there. We we're watching a Raptors game with a pint of Guinness and in Israel right by the beach and and somebody's just like, oh, do you know this place got blown up like three years ago? I'm like, oh, cool. I feel safe. But it was a great experience and it was pretty awesome. Awesome. Okay. And go to drink as a follow-up. Uh, if I'm trying to watch the figure, it's a vodka soda. If I'm not trying to watch a figure, I'm probably going to get a double crown and ginger ale. Very nice. Very classy. So we're going to take a little twist on rapid fire uh, cues. Normally it's me asking you questions and you answering them about yourself, but we're going to take a little twist and our sport talks playbook manager, Jai Mohit, uh, who oversees the creation uh, of our topic list. He's put together a little quiz for you based on your love for basketball and football. So we're going to test your knowledge here. Oh so shit. <laughs> who holds the franchise record for the most points for the Raptors in a game and how many was it? A, Vince Carter, B, oh. DeMar DeRozan or C, Terrence Ross? I think it's Terrence Ross. It's oh, B, God. DeRozan with 52 points. Yeah, yeah. guys, this is going to be bad. It's been it's been like two years. I used to look at stats every single game, guys, okay? Okay, I, I can't remember these things, but you keep going. It's going to be worse. It's going to get bad. I hope people from the Raptors aren't watching this. I'm in shit. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what was the name of the Riders' main mascot in 2003? Fat Cat? Here uh leonard or uh gainer gainer the gopher there you go perfect all right you got one, one but there was cousin leonard cousin leonard was a thing and he was the redneck version of gainer and he was skinnier and they got rid of cousin leonard i think cousin leonard died i think they literally put him in a coffin uh funny story that was years before me i don't know i saw his cousin leonard <laughs> okay so you make up for the first question you came up with it with, with a good story so in Super Bowl 54, who scored the first and was it a touchdown, pick six or field goal? I'm going to go 49ers. Oh. That's right. Yeah. And then I believe it was a field goal. 
Yeah, you got it. Okay. See, when I'm watching the, I was watching the game and I had to do the B show, we were literally looking at stats, trying to find out exactly what's doing what in the advanced stats and everything. So if I didn't know that, you might as well scold me. So it's good. Well, you got uh, two of three. So congratulations. That was a very successful rapid fire cues. And I should have known. I should have known Demar. That was stupid. That just makes me feel dumb. I'm going to, I'm going to hate myself later for that one, but yeah, it's okay. All right. Well, we'll cut it out of the, out of the cuts. So, <laughs> Uh, and congratulations on successfully completing the first rapid fire quiz. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Russell, we, we do have a question from the chat where you can redeem your statistical uh, prowess. Uh, it's from Stetson. He, um, he wanted to know if you knew if uh, it was accurate uh, saying that the Riders fans make up something like 85% of all CFL retail sales. Do you know if this is relatively true or close? I can tell you that it was true maybe a few years back. I wouldn't say it's 85% now of the total CFL revenue of uh, merchandise sales, but I'd say it's definitely significantly high, maybe as high as 70%. I can't give you the exact number, but you wouldn't be wrong. I believe it was the Rough Riders sold back uh, in the heyday, I'd say like maybe a couple of years ago, but they sold more than all the teams combined. So the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are, they're a big deal in the prairies and there's a million people strong in that province and they love the riders even when they leave they love the riders stetson did you want to build on that question at all not really i i guess kind of build on it so just for a little context sake so i've worked with mlse and retail for the last three seasons and it was just kind of right. something one of our supervisors told us one time at uh as, as you know like the argos are obviously part of mlse and it was one of those things that he told us when we were all kind of in our dispense and we were kind of like we, we don't believe that like that, that, that seems a little far-fetched. I mean, obviously our sales were really bad. Like we have 10 kiosks in, at BMO field, but only four of them are open on Argos. But um, yeah, no, I was, I was just curious, like whether or not that was relatively true and you gave the insight. So yeah, thank you. Pretty, pretty, pretty much, man. Like if you look at it, um, funny you say that. Cause when I was at MLSC and we bought the Argos, the first thing I did is um, the moment I heard we bought the Argos, I ran to my boss and I said, can I please work for the Argos too? Um, Cause I love football. I love basketball, I love football, but um. Yeah, no, this, this, the Rough Riders, like, for example, the Rough Riders had four stores at the start of this pandemic, five stores, five stores four, four stores at the start of the pandemic. They had one at the stadium, which is beautiful. If you're ever in Regina for whatever reason, go to the stadium. Two, there was like two different locations in the city, one in a mall, one in a strip mall. And then there was another one in Saskatoon and a new store built. There's now only going to be one store, le uh, two stores left. Russell and Stetson, uh, we've got a fact check analyst, uh, Tony, who's who thinks that um, it was around 60%, not 85%. That's what he heard when he was at uh, TSN. So uh, we got a little fact checker there to dispel all this fake news we're hearing tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, in, in uh, previous years, it was stronger. Um, it's definitely decreased over time with the economy and everything. So if you look at Saskatchewan, there was a big boom there quite a few years ago, and it really drove all that success a lot more people moved there in flux rent was high yada 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 it's not that it's not like that there anymore because of oil they do not like trudeau so if you're any liberals on the call they will like you if you're a liberal they don't like it i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um but anyways yeah what do you say joe chell should we wrap it up yeah we've, we've finished our hour so um it probably is probably a good time to uh to wrap things up and thank you russell for this hour like you definitely given students and everyone a lot to think about in terms of sport presentation, which we don't really talk enough about in our program because that is a whole other side to it. We're talking mainly about the sport broadcast and, and sport presentation is 
in tandem with it. And you know what? I think you're going to become uh, a regular guest speaker with us in a lot of our classes to kind of show that other side, another element that you know I've known about for years because we've always I've always been working with the sport presentation people at venues and that, um, especially at uh, major games, multi like Olympics, Pan Ams, Commonwealth Games. That's a whole division that really our students aren't aware of yet. And that's a great line of work to get into. So I think that's something more that we can expand upon and talk about in future classes even. Yeah, I think, and and just just to add to that, one thing you're gonna see more than ever, and and something that I'm more well-versed in than ever before is the broadcast side of the game. Because when you're doing game presentation, it is a broadcast. You are literally developing a show, a TV show for that video board. And like when it comes to Ross expressions and you name it, a Chiron, whatever, airspeed, I can go into click effects, yada, 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 yada. You have to know how these things work, ebb and flow, and, and understand how you can utilize the technology that has gotten unbelievable, especially with Ross and, and, and expression, and how you can elevate that as a part of your experience. I'll give you one last example, and then I know we can definitely talk about this. I'd love to come on or um, join one of your classes uh, to discuss more about game presentation and events and different things, how I can maybe help out in that regard. But we would do for our eighties night, one of our, one of my most fun games, we had a sidebar and on the sidebar, we would overlay, you know, things in there that there'd be players that would pop over top and we'd layer it and be nice. When a ref called a penalty on the rough riders um, on our eighties night, I waited till like the third penalty on us. And then Gary Coleman slides. I was like, what you talking about? What you talking about? What you talking about Willis? And so we utilize all that humor and built it into, you know, the broadcast of it, of it as well. And I think there's ways that, you know, if you look at traditional broadcasting, even on TV, that they can even continue to innovate like they have to bring some more humor and, and light to sport, especially for that casual fan. Um, anyways, I'll end on that, but yeah. Yeah, that's a great place to end. So um, thanks again, Russell. Um, thanks, Axel, Chelsea, everybody that uh, contributed tonight. and showed up and this has been Sport Talks with Sport Profs and we'll see you again next week. Good night, everyone. Thanks for having me, bye guys.